0: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to chapel. I would invite you guys to stand as we sing, I Will Rise.
1: Seated. Good morning everyone. We're so glad you're with us this morning as we prepare to hear from Jess about her journey of peacemaking both abroad and at home. You can see hanging behind me the chapel banner for this year, Blessed of the Peacemaker, is made by Rachel Yoder and beside it a banner that many of us signed last chapel as a symbol of our commitment to peacemaking both individually and as a group. One purpose we had in bringing the here was so that we could all understand that large-scale peace-building really is attainable and that it is rooted within ourselves. It can start small and it grows bigger and grander. From Luke chapter 13, Jesus said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And the work that we do, we do not do alone. We do it with each other and by the grace of the empowering, all-encompassing Spirit of God. From the book of Isaiah chapter 30. Though the Lord may give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide from you any anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. And when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left, your ears shall hear a word behind you, saying, This is the way. Walk in it. God will give rain for the seed which with you sow the ground, and grain the produce of the ground, will be rich and plenteous. May we remember, as we work for peace outside of us, that it must be rooted in the peace of God inside of us. In the words of Father Richard Rohr, the root of violence is the illusion of separation from God, from being itself, from being somehow one with everyone and everything. Effective peace-building requires remembering our identity and the identity of everyone else as beloved children of the God of peace, and out of this knowledge to be nonviolent to ourselves and to others. As John Deere says, if we are children of a loving Creator, then every human being is our sibling, and we can never hurt anyone on Earth ever again much less be silent in the face of war, starvation, racism, sexism, nuclear weapons, systemic injustice, and environmental destruction. So, out of love, may we work for justice and peace, because with the Spirit of God breathing in us, we can do nothing else.
2: We welcome Jess Stoltzfus-Buller, our speaker for chapel today. She is the Peace Education Coordinator for Mennonite Central Committee in the US. She graduated from Goshen College in 2008 with a double major in Bible, religion, philosophy, and sociology. While attending Goshen College, she was a student leader on the campus ministries team. After graduation, Jess moved to Columbia, South America, where she worked for almost eight years with a small Anabaptist organization on the Caribbean coast called Sembras sembrando paz, which means sowing peace. This amazing organization is helping communities realize goals through participatory political action, often by identifying and creating spaces for broader community participation within the local political structure. It also works with communities to discover what skills and tools they need to claim their rights under the law, what capacities already exist within the community, and how to build on those capacities. This is only a fraction of what they do. Her work included community development, nonviolent training, and regional peace building. Jess is currently living in Goshen with her husband, William Murillo, Murillo? (laughs) and they are expecting their first child. In her free time, Jess enjoys biking, music, and coaching volleyball at Bethany Christian Schools. And now I will light the Christ lamp as a visual reminder that God is with us in this chapel place. Let us pray. Dear God, I thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning. Before we continue chapel, I pray that you open our hearts and minds as we listen to Jess's story. Amen. In Colossians 3.15, it says, let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other in step with each other. Keeping that in mind, let us greet one another by saying, let the peace of the Lord be with you. Uh, Let us stand and sing, let there be peace on earth.
3: Morning. It's good to be back here. About 10 years ago, I would have been sitting in chapel just like you as a GC student. Here at Goshen, I was an athlete, a sociology and BRP double major, involved in campus ministries and a lot of on-campus activities. If you would have asked me where my life was taking me, where I would go in the next 10 years, I would not have been able to tell you. You are starting on a series of peace building, talking about how we are called to be peacemakers. Jesus blesses the peacemakers. And Goshen College embodies this. As a core value, it prioritizes it in its mission and in its teaching. Now, as a student, I would have understood peacemaking as a general call to my life as a Christian. We are all called to be peacemakers. I would not have said that it was necessarily my specific vocation or career path. Since that time, however, I've worked in Colombia, South America for seven and a half years doing peacebuilding work at a local level and I am now the National Peace Education Coordinator for Mennonite Central Committee. I have come to understand peacemaking as central to my unique call. So how did I get here? Today I'd like to share a little bit of my path to this work, some of the joys and challenges I've experienced as well as a few stories I've gained along the way. We read Luke 13, to begin, this morning, which talks about how the kingdom of God grows like a seed, like a mustard seed at that, the smallest of all of the seeds. Usually I think about this passage externally, I think about the kingdom of God as something I'm building, the peacemaking I'm doing externally around me in the world, but I'd also invite you to think about the kingdom of God as growing within us, like a seed. My career or my path to peace building has been like that, growing in me like a seed. It started really small. I would not have guessed 10 years ago that this is where I'd be today. I really like the image of seeds. Seeds are actually very amazing. They are really powerful little tykes. My boss in Colombia used to say that any individual seed has the knowledge to become a full tree. And it's pretty astounding when we think about that. How that works, how something so small can become so impressive. As the introduction mentioned, I worked on the Caribbean coast in Colombia in a region called Montes de Maria, or Maria's Mountains. It was a rural area. It's mostly farming. It's kind of mountainous. Um, It's very hot. It's on the Caribbean side, um, uh, close to the ocean. And I worked with a lot of farmers, Colombian farmers. Farming is obviously very different in Colombia as it is here. It's mostly done with machete and boots and small parcels of land, not with large machinery or huge acreage. One of the things that I learned from my farming friends is that getting a seed to grow is both extremely simple and extremely complicated. Yucca is a common plant in Colombia. It came from Africa, was brought over. It's cassava, um, uh, better known in English. It's a small tree kind of like thing that has roots in the ground, big roots, Um, and once it's mature, you go and you pull it out, which is physically very demanding. Um, You peel it, eat it, uh, cook it, and then eat it. And farmers, when they would pull out the yucca plant, they would just chop off a piece of one of the yucca roots and stick it back in the ground, and it would become a yucca plant, and it would grow and produce more fruit. It was so easy. Yucca grows year-round, and they would always have it in their back patio, because as soon as you pull out one yuca, you just chop it off, throw it in the ground, and it'll make another plant. I didn't have land to try this, but it always seemed like I wasn't sure if I would actually be able to make a yuca plant grow as easy as these campesino farmers did. Um, but it can be extremely simple, growing a seed. It can also be really, really complicated. Small-scale farmers in Colombia have no irrigation system. So if they suffered drought, or if they had too much rain, their crops suffered, they died. They could lose their entire crop because of a drought or unending rains. And they could do very little about it. Growing a seed is both complicated and simple. My past has been like that. The seed is growing, and in some ways, it has been so clear and easy for me. In others, it's been a struggle to know how to keep it alive how to give it water, how to let it flourish, and even perhaps how to identify what the seed is. We read Isaiah 30 that talks about this is the way, walk in it, that we hear this voice from God. I absolutely love the idea of having such clarity on the journey that Isaiah talks about in this chapter, that when you turn to the left or to the right, you will hear in your ear a voice telling you, this is the way, walk in it. My decisions never felt that easy. I would love to have absolute certainty of God's call, God's guiding whispers in my ear as I make my path and my decisions. In looking back, however, I do see how some of the smaller decisions that didn't feel like full commitments to a career path led me to some of the bigger answers of my decisions. If my journey has been like planting and nurturing a growing seed, the first part was actually the easiest. When I graduated from Goshen, I decided to do a program called the Seed Program. Ironic. It didn't feel like a hard decision. It was like cutting off a piece of yucca and sticking it in the ground. I had an amazing experience in SST, and other international experiences were, were making me ache to get out of the States and work internationally. When I had come back to campus from SST, I took Liberation Theology with Melinda Melinda Barry and it rocked my world, made me really, really want to get out of a white, wealthy life. And I was anxious to leave. I wanted to go abroad, and I spoke Spanish, so Latin America was very attractive. I wanted to work in a region of conflict where peace was not just an ideology but an actual practice. I heard about the SEED program, an MCC program, and it fit really well. It was MCC, I know MCC, I felt really comfortable, I think it's an awesome organization. It was a two-year program, which felt comfortable to me. I was interested in being away longer than just nine months, but I wasn't quite ready to make the jump into five years or three years. It was in Colombia, which is a Spanish-speaking country and a country of conflict and I actually did hear a few voices to my right and to my left. It felt like everyone I turned to was telling me some experience that they had of the Colombian church in in, or the Mennonite church in Colombia and the wonderful work that they were doing or some person that they know that had been there and how wonderful of a place this was to work. I didn't know exactly what the seed was but I, I knew pretty clearly I wanted to plant it. Now the decisions got harder along the way. Two years later, when I was done with SEED, I decided to stay, a much more difficult decision. Doing two years of service felt like easy, everybody was leaving college, and we were all going to do some kind of service or a couple years, and then we'd really figure out what we were doing with our lives. But committing to an additional three-year term felt like quite a bit. There were some positions um, that interested me and would allow me to continue to work in the ways that I was working in Columbia. It was like this seed that I began to identify what it was and so I started like when a seed starts growing and you realize oh that's this plant or that's this plant. My husband and I moved into a house on third street this year in February and it was winter and we had no idea what was in the yard and it was really fun this spring to see seeds pop up and and realize what is this plant oh well that's this flower well that's this flower. It was kind of like that. Two years in I started saying oh I planted this seed do I want that seed? Do I want to uproot it? Do I want to change it? Do I want to water it? And I decided to stay amidst a difficult decision. I had to think a lot more about my family and friends, how much I missed them, how difficult it was to live far away. And I was making a decision about staying in Columbia where my base community of support, which was here in the States, had not experienced, did not understand the work, didn't. didn't know the work, didn't know the community there, and it felt like I was discerning a lot on my own without the community that I usually discerned with. But I decided to stay, re up my term for another three years with MCC. And once those three years came to a close, I had another decision to make. I decided to stay to work as a local hire to the organization that I had been working with um, the whole time, so to stay beyond MCC. This was a financial commitment in a lot of ways didn't have the backing of an international organization with insurance and a retirement plan and a paid home leave. After five years, I felt like I was in my groove of work, and I identified more with that partner than I did really with MCC. But it was a lot of of decision making and a pretty life-changing decision to decide, this is what I'm doing. I am working in this. This is my area. This is my career. This is my path. So each of these decisions in the moment felt like they were decisions about the immediate. None of them were an eight year commitment to head to Columbia and stay and work in peace. But the sum of each one created a career path for me. When I look back, I see how so many small steps made that path. In the midst of it, I really only saw the one step that I was taking. One of my favorite poems is For Those Who Have Far to Travel by Jan Richardson which talks about the gift that it is not to see the whole path in front of you, that the entirety of it would be too daunting, and that each individual step is manageable. I'd like to share it with you. For those who have far to travel, if you could see the journey whole, you might never undertake it, might never dare the first step that propels you from the place you have known toward the place you know not. Call it one of the mercies of the road, that we see it only by stages as it opens before us, as it comes into our keeping, step by single step. There is nothing for it but to go, and by our going take the vows the pilgrim takes, to be faithful to the next step, to rely on more than just the map, to heed the signposts of intuition and dream, to follow the star that only you will recognize, to keep an open eye for the wonders that attend the path, to press on beyond distraction, beyond fatigue, beyond what would tempt you from the way. There are vows that only you will know, the secret promises for your particular path, and the new ones you will need to make when the road is revealed by turns you could not have foreseen. Keep them break them, make them again. Each promise becomes part of the path. Each choice creates the road that will take you to the place where at last you will kneel to offer the gift most needed, the gift that only you can give, before turning to go home by another way. This is how I've come to hear Isaiah thirty twenty-one. I may not hear God's clear voice telling me what to do and where to go in every moment but I do see how God has moved through my experiences to open doors and gently nudge me. Now there have been challenges along the way. As my seed of vocation grew, it saw some pretty rough times. Beyond the difficulty of making the decisions and choosing a direction, my path has had a number of obstacles. Isaiah, in fact, before he talks about the assurance of God's voice in our ear, acknowledges that there is serious difficulty Verse 20 says we will experience the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. As with anyone, I've had my challenges, things that have brought me pretty close to quitting. Speaking in terms of seeds, one of the challenges I faced was that my seed got hit with really, really heavy rains, flooding out almost completely my seed. By the time I was in my third or fourth year in Columbia, I was really settled. I understood the context, I knew how to do my job, I felt really comfortable in Spanish. I felt known and respected in my work and I loved it. I became so into my work that I lost who I was. I worked all the time, but not out of obligation, not out of necessity, out of desire. I absolutely loved what I did. It was thrilling to see the ways that my work made a difference in people's lives. I could see how I was part of something and I could not give it up. It was, in some ways, what we call the messianic complex. I put a lot of weight, too much weight, on the good work I was doing and became obsessed with it. This is one of the dangers to peace work, to international work, probably to social work in general. We come in with ideas of how to help, resources to offer, and we get stuck in our own thinking, and our own ways, and how great we are because we're helping. It can be easy to believe that alone, we are saving the people we're working for. This is extremely dangerous in peace building. And for me, it happened. I worked and I worked and I worked and I got into really unhealthy practices that affected my life and affected others around me. I had to take a stress leave. I left for a few months. I got so drowned, I almost lost my seed. It was one of the hardest times in my entire life. It took a very long time to reestablish my roots and that I might look like anything similar to a healthy plant again. On the opposite end, my seed also experienced drought. While too much rain is not good, our seeds do need it to flourish. Peace-building is hard and requires support in good community, in inner strength, and understanding that we are one tiny part of a big change, and we have to be able to see that big change. In the same way that a seed must have sun and water and healthy soil to grow, peacebuilding must have supports. I got burnout at a number of times, not fueling my work with enough sun, water, and healthy soil. Working in a conflict region where communities have been massacred and displaced, it can be very easy to take on the trauma of others. It's called secondary trauma. One of the coworkers I worked closest with was someone who had experienced significant trauma in their life. They had this need to solve all of the problems of all of the communities, of all of the regions, of all of the country of Colombia, and really believed that we, as a 10-person, tiny peacebuilding organization, could do it. And I, as the main support to this coworker, I got sucked into that, and I started to take on some of the baggage that this person carried so that their load would be smaller not realizing that we did not need to be carrying the entire load. I started reading about secondary trauma and identifying ways I was getting burnt out. I recognized it was not going to be sustainable for me and I started working really hard to make changes in how I related to my coworker and how I supported the work. Then an amazing community leader and close friend, Jorge Montes, was put in jail. There was a large community march, uh, an, organizing ga- an organized gathering, and he was the main leader of this movement. But the movement was a movement of farmers that I'll tell you a little bit about more later. Um, but it was a threat to the political powers. So a new method of um, government keeping the people under wraps in Colombia and in other places around the world is that they call what they call paper someone. They paper someone. So instead of assassinating them, sending uh, one person to selectively take out a leader which will generally create a martyr and, and rise, uh, uh, will, will help bring rise to more energy from a movement, they put them in jail. They come up with false accusations and get them in jail and it squashes a movement. Jorge was a friend of mine, one of the best community leaders I have met with and known. And he was in jail for a long time. We worked and worked and worked to get him out. I visited him in jail. I saw the ways that his life was being wasted as he spent years and years in jail. And again, it was really difficult to learn how to balance myself emotionally in the work, how to give myself space when I felt so guilty and it was so unfair that he was in jail and I was able to keep working. Now on a positive note, Jorge was released from jail yesterday and we have huge celebrations happening in Colombia because of it. But I had to learn how to fuel myself in the midst of devastating realities. One of the wisest things Joe Lichty ever told me in class was to stay rooted in spirituality. Peace work is really, really hard. Without inner strength and something beyond ourselves, bigger than ourselves, we will not make it through. In the midst of drought, we must find water, access to sunlight and soil to refresh and strengthen us in our work. And one more challenge I'll talk about on my path to peace building, I straight up got uprooted. I had an accident. On March 7 of 2015, I was riding my Honda 125 dirt bike up to San Brano, a rural community where I worked in the region. It's a narrow road, and I was following a semi, an oncoming semi came, and the suction of the semis pulled me in, and uh, my motorcycle got caught, and I went down. And I broke my femur, I had burns, I had significant damage. I was in the hospital in Colombia for three months, And when I was released, I came back to Goshen to spend time with family, do therapy, and then I left again for Columbia. I saw no reason to leave my work, to leave my community there, and I tried to keep working. But my bone was infected, and it was not healing, and it was taking a really long time. So my husband and I decided to move back to Goshen. We needed better healthcare to focus on my physical healing, and this was not an easy transition. It was not the way I wanted it. When I left, it wasn't smooth, saying goodbyes in short chunks, being forced to leave. What about my career path? Where was it going? I saw my career path. I thought I had figured it out. I knew what the seed was. I knew how to water it. I was figuring out what to do with drought and with rains. And I got here and it was really, really difficult. Not only recovering from this huge accident that was prolonging more and more and more, but the kind of work was really, really different. Yes, I am doing peacebuilding work, but I'm working with white middle class America. This is really, really different. I'm talking about theology and peace from a distance, not working directly with people who are affected. It's more education than direct work. This was really difficult, has been really difficult. When a plant is uprooted, you have to stay focused on that plant to make it healthy again. You don't get the luxury of swinging on its branches or picking its fruit. You are thinking about survival. My survival has meant that my peacebuilding work looks different. I need a job that offers health insurance and a paycheck that actually can pay, attempt to pay medical bills, something that I did not have in Columbia. This is a new challenge, and it is also peace work. How am I living out my vocation in this new and different way? I don't see yet where it will take me. I am in the middle of one of those immediate decisions. But all of these challenges have strengthened my call and my vocation. There will be times we all wonder, why we're doing what we're doing? Is it the right thing? But it's not all challenge either. We see the seeds growing and there are so many joys along the way. God blesses our seeds as Isaiah continues on. Isaiah 20, 30, 23a says, God will give rain for the seed for which you sow, with which you sow the ground, the grain, the produce of the ground, which will be rich and plenteous. This is what kept me on track in the midst of flooding, drought, or being uprooted. The produce of my seed, the fruit it is producing, to see the ways I was contributing to something bigger than myself, to see the ways I was growing and learning and changing. Some of the produce I have collected along this journey to peace building. First starts with relationships. Some of my very closest friends are Colombian. I have learned about faith and hope in the midst of violence. I have seen selfless leadership take care of their communities. Jorge, the friend I mentioned, was released from jail yesterday. He's one of the best community leaders I have ever seen, self-sacrificing for the good of his community. Juana, a close friend from an Afro-Colombian community, gives herself in so many ways. Ricardo, my old boss, who when I first got to Colombia, I heard all about him. I was told he's called the Gandhi of Colombia. It was a huge privilege to work with this man. His vision for the region and ideas, how to create a culture of peace amidst violence, taught me so much. Most of my beliefs and understandings about peace work come from him we became very close and it became one of the most exasperating and life-giving work relationships I'll probably ever have. We had it out when we didn't see eye to eye, but we respected one another and learned greatly from one another. And we had a lifestyle that I thrived in, almost like an intentional community. Working in Zambrano Paz was work is life, is church, is family, is friends, is everything. Work just flowed out of what we did. And we shared all of the parts of our lives, some of the most authentic relationships I've experienced. Another produce I've collected from this work is seeing communities empowered. Peace work can be really hard to measure. But after seven and a half years, you can see a lot of change. Picilin is a small community, which was a bed of where uh, some of the campesino, strongest campesino leaders were in the 80s and 90s but uh, selective assassinations began and the community was displaced uh, by violence two times, wiped out all the energy that they had. What was a thriving community became an impoverished and forgotten community. When I first met Pichilin, no one could tell their story. We kind of guessed at what had happened. They would cry when we would do workshops or when we did exercises and it wasn't bad but we couldn't figure out what was going on. They were amazing people that had been hugely affected by trauma. But over the course of eight years, I saw this community bloom. They started telling their story over coffee when we would sit together in the afternoons. They started telling their stories in workshops where there were ten leaders or, or a few people from another community. And until now, they have uh, commemorations where they celebrate the day of their displacement and celebrate who they were before and the resilience that they have come to. I have watched resilience grow in them as they rose from ashes like the phoenix bird. One of the most powerful experiences. Or another community I watched flourish as they work at reconciliation. The community that Jorge works for is a series of about 50 communities called the High Mountain Zone. And in the the 90s, this was a region where there were over seven armed actors all in one geographical region. And it really, really tore apart the social fabric. So a paramilitary group would show up at my doorstep and say, feed me and house me, and well, I don't have much options, so I would let them in. And then they'd show up at another house an hour up the road, a FARC group, a guerrilla group would show up and say, feed us and house us, and well, they had no option. So communities started to become stereotyped with the, different, um, with the different groups although they really had no participation in the, in the conflict in itself. It got so bad that people would walk, I, if I'm going to go down to town, I might walk two hours out of my way so that I don't pass through the community that's stereotyped with another armed group because I fear them, because I hate them, because I think that they killed my family members. But these communities started realizing that they weren't going to get attention alone. They worked together and decided that they needed to draw attention at a national level and they started organizing for a nonviolent march. This was a logistical feat. They started working and thinking about what kind of food we're going to offer and and do people have enough energy to walk and how are we going to get water and all of those kind of logistical things. It's like working a relief sale at MCC where you you just start, like put your head down and start working. And so they started creating relationships over logistical issues of organizing, even amidst the really complicated and difficult stories that they had. But after that march, they realized that they were friends. And they began to ask us for support in a reconciliation process. They now trusted one another and could share their stories. I see produce here in the United States as well. Even amidst some of my difficulties of understanding what my work is here, churches are teaching their children about peace. There, there's lots of churches around the country that are starting to think about peace camps. And they're running what's like a VBS, but it's focused on uh, peace education for children. So these are all seeds that are produce that are coming from the seeds and keep me going in my work. As I look back over my path to peace building, I do see how God was directing me. I may not have heard the direct whispers at the time, but I can see how I was guided by the divine as I turned to the right or to the left. When I faced adversity, the teacher did not hide, as Isaiah promised. And as Isaiah also promised, I was given produce in abundance, and it all started with a tiny seed. So the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, both in our work in the world, as well as within ourselves. It starts so small and requires periods of gestation that take time to see and understand. I pray that you also may grow from a seed into a large producing tree as you listen to God's call, follow your path, and work to be peacemakers. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Jess, for sharing your story. Um, Let us bow our heads down as we pray to support those whose lives have been torn apart by emergencies, disaster, and crisis in the last few weeks. We also pray for those who are working hard to save their lives under unimaginable circumstances. We ask that you keep your eyes closed until we say amen. We also ask that you may use this time and space for individual meditation and reflection. God who hurts with humanity, we lift up our voices and pour out our hearts to you. We pray for an end to the violence that is affecting the people of Myanmar and Bangladesh. We pray for peace, protection, and provision to be bestowed within these countries. We pray for East Africa, We pray for our sisters and brothers caught up in cycle of drought and hunger, for parents struggling to find food and seeing their children go hungry. While families and animals in Kenya and Ethiopia stand thirsty, waiting for rain, may we stand with them, unite us as we wait for justice. We pray for those in position of power, that may these leaders of these nations act with wisdom and compassion to bring relief to those who are suffering now in East Africa. We pray for Puerto Rico that recently got affected by Hurricane Maria. Lord, have mercy on Puerto Rico where the earth has given way. Have mercy on Puerto Rico where the weather has destroyed livelihoods. Prosper those who rebuild houses and strengthen those who rebuild hope so that the entire so that our entire communities may face a future without fear. Open up our eyes so we don't look away. Multiply what we offer so that all have enough. Speak words of healing through partners on the ground. Turn compassionate fatigue into compassionate generosity. And let in and let life, in all its fullness, flow through all of the world.
4: Lord, as we pray, we could go on and on with a list of just difficulties that we see around us, from racial tension to the southern states um, that have been hit by hurricanes, for students who are worried about their loved loved ones, peace for the school year, safety for this weekend. There's just so many things um, that seem to be going wrong, Lord. And so at this time, I just want to ask that you can be with us. And I want to thank you for your presence and for the little mustard seeds that you've placed in our lives so that we can see a hope and that we can see um, a peace and just know that good things are coming. Um, So I just want to thank you for that and thank you for those reminders. And now I ask that as we take our individual moments to pray or to meditate, um, that you can just take time to hold in the light the lives that have been affected from all of these things that are going on. I'm going to ask us as students to take a moment to reflect on our lives and the things that have been worrying us this week, whatever it may be. Help us to breathe out those worries and focus on a peace within ourselves, even if just for a moment. I ask that we can think about Jess's words and her testimonies, which spoke such volumes. Think during this time about ways in which we can find peace eternally and within your own heart, and also ways you can, we can create peace for those around us and where and how you fit into all of this, Lord. What mustard seeds have you planted for us? Amen. You may go in peace.